Hey, this is Ricky Jones, and this is uh, the podcast from River Oaks Presbyterian Church that we've not done in about six months. Thanks for waiting patiently for us. Um, I hope you haven't all unsubscribed, but maybe you have. Anyway, this is from Sunday to Monday, and it's the podcast that we use to try to make uh, Sunday sermons practical throughout the week. And it is August in 2018, and we have brought back the... Uh, the sermon series where we answer questions that are given to us from the congregation. This year I did something a little different. I, I was out of town for the month of July with some family uh, issues and so didn't really have time to poll the congregation the way I usually do and find out good topics. So I gave them, I threw it over to the youth ministry. And so this month's questions have all come from our youth group. And uh, I think they're pretty good questions. I'm excited about going through those with you. After the sermon every week, the sermon you can find on sermonaudio.com or on our website, just the normal River Oaks uh, podcast. Uh, After the sermon every week, I answer questions from the congregation, and so that's what we're going to do here. Go back over those questions and answer those. Uh, All the questions we received, including the ones I did not have time to get to. Today, sitting with me, hosting, because you're hosting and I'm answering questions. Is that right? I think that's what we agreed on. I think that's what we're in doing. the contract. So uh, it was Jason Bobo. Jason is the associate pastor at Christ Presbyterian Church. He is uh, the other Bobo on Twitter. He is from Houston, Texas, or just outside of Houston, closer to cut and shoot, I believe, and uh, and a good friend. And I'm I'm excited to have him here. Say hello, Jason. Hello, River Oaks Presbyterian Church. I love. Many hey, we're, of we're speaking you. to the entire. <laughs> Podcast world, not just a river up. Hello, world, podcast world. <laughs> it's the first time I've swam in these waters. You're doing so great. I'm so mm. proud of you. <laughs> well, I have. They can't. They can't hear you smirk, Jason. You have to talk. <laughs> I have twelve questions that uh, I guess the youth have sent in, and some of them are longer and more complex, and some of them are really short and terse, but could could lead to very long answers. Okay. Um, and I'm just going to read through them as they're Yeah, numbered. just do it however you want to do it. Okay. And just to clarify, these are actually questions that came from adults in the congregation. Uh, the, the sermon topics came from the youth. Got I, don't, I have no idea who wrote these in. These are anonymous. Okay. Well, this is, uh, this is a fun one. At the beginning of uh, what will be a very contentious NFL season mm. and the end of... Baseball season as we're wrapping up that season. Here's a, here's a good question to start us off. I get the danger of competition, yet how do we balance doing and striving to do our best and giving our best in athletic endeavors or competitions? Should we not engage in these activities? Should we seek a balance or stop competing completely? What say you? That's a great question. Uh, so one of the things I talked about was uh, pride and uh, the dangers of pride and, and really just the danger of uh, constantly comparing ourselves to others and the way we motivate our kids by making them want to be the best and be better than others. And really, we really force our children into this mentality that they're in a competition. Mm. Uh, I was telling my, my 21-year-old a few weeks ago, uh, he was, he was explaining to me that he's behind. I said, son, you, you insist on believing that you're behind in a race that doesn't exist and nobody cares about. And uh, and that's that's true. You know, there's this, 
I don't know what it is, but we're afraid of, of losing, and nobody even stops to ask, are we even playing the game? Uh, I like sports. Yeah, I know you like sports. We both played sports growing up. I was a collegiate scholarship athlete. A scholarship athlete. I thought you were a cheerleader. I was a cheerleader. Oh, that's right. I forget that. I forget that's not a competition. <laughs> I, I legit did. It threw me off. Okay. But uh, so this is what I think. I think. I think sports are great. I think sports teach great lessons. They teach you to not listen to your body when it tells you you can't go any further. It teaches you to uh, to be strong, to not give up. Teaches you teamwork. Teaches you to get up when you fall down. Mm-hmm. I quoted Scott Hamilton yesterday talking about how he fell down over forty thousand times in his career, and he got up over forty thousand times in his career. And I think those, I think sports are as good a place to learn those lessons as any. I also think we're in a culture that's overdoing it. Certainly, it seems like the youth sports culture. Probably when we were kids, you would start playing. Little league a year or two before you went into middle school. Yeah, and now we've got all the way to pre-K athletic leagues, and it's year long. You're yes. right. Sundays. Yeah. My I had one son who was recruited to play on a competitive team in first grade. Yeah, and that, that seems a little early, Jason. I'm, I'm not gonna lie. Maybe we have an <laughs> idolatry culture with that, and maybe yeah. we're trying to hardwire this competitive situation. And it certainly seems like it's more prevalent in communities um, that are already quite successful. Yeah. Jinx, Union, Owasso, the, yeah. the, those sports leagues are much more competitive. Yeah, so I, I, you know, I think, I think we, we as, a, as Christians need to be willing to step back and go, why am I doing this? Mm-hmm. Uh, what am I teaching? Uh, is this, has this become too important to me? Uh, what am I doing with my kids? Those are just important questions to always be asking yourself. And uh, and so that's good. But, but I do like sports, and I am going to build my altar to football uh, and start watching me some football uh, in just a number of weeks, and I can't wait. Mm-hmm. So, mm-hmm. all right. Uh, here's a here's this one's kind of um, not convoluted, but there's a lot of layers to it. So we may have to pick it apart after I ask it. <clears throat> this uh, two options for now uh, wasn't as easy as I thought it would be. But do you have any practical tips? for dealing with unhealthy relationships where you hear constantly how you don't measure up and are not worthy of love. So there's the first half of it. And then second half, what is the self-love, in quotations, mentioned in 2 Timothy 3 that is a sign of the end times? Okay, let's take these two separately. Um, And so the sermon was about self-love. Literally, uh, I titled it, Should Christians Love Themselves? Um... You know, I don't like the phrase self-love. I think the second part of that question is easier than the first. Uh, you know, in our day, Jason, it was self-esteem, right? All we ever heard about was self-esteem. And then it seemed to go to self-worth. And then uh, identity was the big issue in the in the uh, kind of the late 90s and early 2000s. Everybody, you know, what's your identity? Now it's self-love, you know, love yourself. It'll be something else in a couple of weeks, so I'm not going to quibble with the term. I think they all mean essentially the same thing. And, uh, I think that should all be rested in how God loves us. Um, so the self-love in Second Timothy, or for, is it First Timothy two or Second Timothy one? This says Second Timothy three uh, is what this. I'll take the word for it. Um, you know, that's that's really just pride and the inability to say no to yourself, mm-hmm. and um, and that certainly is evil. Uh, and and we have to learn to say no to our appetite, certainly. But let's go read that first half of the question again. I think that's more important here. Do you have any practical tips for dealing with unhealthy relationships where you hear constantly 
how you don't measure up mm-hmm. and are not worthy of love. So this is a really hard question to answer in the abstract, right? And, yeah, you know, some data points would <laughs> yeah, be helpful. Uh, you know, is it uh, is it an adult talking to her do- to her mother? Then you know, I would talk to you about building healthy boundaries. If it's uh, if it's a child or you know a teenager talking about his peer group, I'd say get help, get another peer group. If it's somebody who's been married for ten years and has three kids, I would say, hey, let's get into counseling and work that out. I'm not going to give you permission via podcast to get a divorce when I don't even know you. Um, so, you know, there are, it's kind of hard to, to talk about that too abstractly, but I do think there's some principles, you know. Um, one is you have to decide how much permission you're giving to other people to define who you are and what you think about yourself. Um, some relationships you can get out of, some you can't. But in all those relationships, I, I, might, I might be stuck in an unhealthy relationship Maybe it's with a parent, maybe it's with uh, maybe even a spouse, and I can't get out of it. But I can still say, look, you don't have the right to tell me who I am. Mm. Um, you can say it, but I'm going to guard my heart from it, and I'm going to only allow the Lord to inform that. And He's He's told me who I am in, in Christ. Uh, that, that's a hard thing to do. It's an easy thing for me to sit in my office and talk about. It's a hard thing to do, but um, I think it's an extremely important thing to do, especially if you are in a situation where you're constantly being shamed or uh, or run down. What what kind of things have you run into with that, Jason? Well, I could could see someone um, who has an overactive guilt complex Mm -hmm. Who might view every uh, challenge or correction in what would normally be a healthy relationship, taking those as something that wasn't intended and saying, yeah, oh, yeah. Let's see, this is more of me being worthless, more of me not. Mm-hmm. And so there's, it is basically impossible to answer this, not having someone to actually understand and, and see uh, sort of the lay of the land in their life and know their history. And um, But if you're in a relationship, a dating relationship, um, and you hear this even once, um, it's time to probably ring the bell and have a serious sit down about that because uh, I don't think you ever want to be in a long-term a committed relationship where your significant other would ever say that you don't measure up or are yeah. not worthy of love. Yeah, that's a good word. That's a good word. All right, um, moving on. Number three, what do you do if you don't know what unconditional love feels like? If you've never really been someone's first choice. I've been in therapy for years trying to fix this exact issue, and I'm coming up short. I'm in Christ, in the church. I read my Bible, etc., but it's always there. I'm tired. And worn out. I feel I've tried everything. What do I do? That's a great question. It's a painful question. Um, I think, you know, it sounds like you're doing all the right things. I would encourage you to keep doing them. Uh, I would encourage you, I guess I'm not exactly sure what you're asking, whether uh, this could, for instance, there's Two different things this could be. One could be such uh, someone saying in their personal relationship with their spouse, 
I don't feel loved. What do I do? In that case, you need to draw in your community, uh, let people know what's going on, and ask them uh, for help. Uh, maybe your elders need to come and, and, and pastorally sit down with you or, or your spouse. Um, but it could just be a personal, I want to say this, I want to say this correctly. Um, it could be that your receptor is broken, that your antenna is broken. Uh, that you just, like, as you say in your question, you don't ever feel like you are the first choice. You don't feel important. And I'm really sorry. I don't want you to confuse that feeling with the objective truth. Uh, you're in Christ, and one day when you see Jesus face to face, you will feel the truth of that. Uh, just like my sister's uh, mental capacities were uh Disabled, and there were a lot of things that she never understood completely. But when she saw Jesus face to face six years ago, uh, she understood completely how much she was loved and how safe she was. Uh, that day's coming when you'll be fixed, and, and we have to put our trust in that. That's why Romans 8, the passage that we started out reading yesterday, starts out with uh, If you hope for what you already have, it's not hope. But, but if we hope for what we do not yet see, then that is, then we wait for it with patience. Hmm. Uh, you need to. We, that's what we're all being called to do, put our faith in what we don't yet experience fully. I'm going to launch in and ask this next question because I think some of your answer to it will continue to apply to that third one about unconditional love and uh, not feeling like you've been someone's first choice. Question mm -hmm. four says, Brene Brown says her mantra is, I am enough. Mm -hmm. I am enough. What are your thoughts? Hmm. Um. You know, I would probably edit that. I mean, I don't think ultimately any of us are enough. Uh, you know, we, we, we know that in Christ we are complete. Mm -hmm. Outside of Christ we are not. Um, so it's not a perfect statement. I do think what she is trying to say there is um, she's basically calling on people not to be codependent, to not believe that I have to have this person or that person to get through life and therefore... Um, you know, she's calling people to be courageous, to believe that they can get over obstacles. She's calling on people to believe they are worthy to be loved and to accept the love that they deserve. Um, how, how do you see these two tied together? I'm just curious. Well, for the person who who is a Christian in the church, in the scripture, uh, who says they don't feel like they know what unconditional love is like, um, but they're in Christ, they're in mm -hmm. the church, then they actually do know mm. exactly what it feels like. And it feels like Christ saying, my grace is sufficient mm. for you. you mm. This is enough, us together. Um, and I think that's different than what Brene Brown is, is saying, but the, the completeness that we have in Christ is actually what unconditional love feels like. Yeah. Even when it's not what you want, it's the condition is not on your worthiness to receive it it's on his willingness to bathe you with it that's a great you know i think it's, there's a lot we can say from that. that's a great point you know i think sometimes we have this idea that you know if i'm receiving this unconditional love then i'm always going to be happy or i'm going to reach this higher plane of joy and sure i mean i want that for you i want that for me too <laughs> you know i saw it once i uh, you know i've had those i've had them i've had those experiences 
but generally speaking, uh, you know, there's a great movie called As Good As It Gets with, with Jack Nicholson. <laughs> and it gets it gets his line from you know he's, he's spent hundreds of hours with his therapist and he kind of walks out into the waiting room one day and he sees all the guys waiting on therapy and he goes what's it what if this is as good as it gets just ruins everybody's day. <laughs> ruins everybody's day. <laughs> but you know I think I think there's some important truth in saying hey this, for for this life in this broken world with me being the broken person I am this is maybe as good as it gets but that's okay. I can I can do this. Yeah, I can do this. And and it is it's hardwired into us. It's in our DNA and RNA that most of us want um, to find our counterpoint in another and have a romantic love and experience that. And I think that's probably the the follow up question in three is um, if you've never really been someone's first choice. Mm-hmm. But again, if we spiritualize that. Um, we have been. Absolutely. We have been someone's first choice. And to pair that up with what Paul says, not many of you um, were worth any of this, um, but we have it. And yeah. so we've been elevated far beyond um, any expectation that we should have. Mm. And um, I don't think that shouldn't negate or um, set aside that longing for romantic love, but... Uh, romantic love only means what it means biblically when it starts in unconditional biblical love, yeah. the grace of Christ. Well, hopefully it frees us up to love a sinner, yeah. not, not to constantly be putting that pressure on the person that we love to make us feel more than a human can make us feel. Yeah. And so here you go. Here's number five. <clears throat> this one's kind of, it's got a long runway uh, too, so try and hang with it to the <laughs> end. Uh, I feel like I understand the what and the why of this, but not really the how. Is it just, like you said at the end, getting into the Bible more regularly and consuming the truth more? Anything else? As anxiety grows, it feels harder and harder to do, ironically. Yeah, yeah I get that. Man, I get that. Uh, you know, in the last month, I sat with my mom while she died and I did her funeral and uh, experienced some pretty pretty deep lows, you know, and um, and during that period, I, I just knew what I needed more than anything else. If, if I could just would just pick up the Bible and read it and meditate on God's promises, I would be better. And I just couldn't. I couldn't do it. I, I didn't have the energy. At one time, at one point, I fell asleep trying to read my Bible. Um, it's hard. I understand that irony. I don't think it is ironic. I think it's sad. Just a sad fact of the truth and a lot of times the, the thing that we know that we need is the hardest thing to do and uh and the lord's gracious about that you know it's one of the, one of the true joys of of the christian life is knowing that god sees our intentions and he knows that we we mean better than we do mm. and he'll judge us for those secret intentions and i i, I look forward to that day well, um Oh, I'm sorry. Yeah, I would say you know more. It's not just simply reading the Bible, but it's it's feasting on the the gospel, whether it be you know the Bible certainly is part of it, but but I think fellowship is the area that we miss out on the most. Um, we need to be surrounding ourselves with believers who are affirming the truth about us that we are beautiful and accepted and loved. Um, what were you going to say? I was going to say for this person uh, who's looking for some some practical something to sink their teeth in when they feel 
uh, anxiety growing and, and pushing their desire or longing for Scripture away? What are one or two places you might say, hey, look, you don't want to. It's just like going to the gym or eating your broccoli. You don't want it, but you have to. Give them a couple of places to jump in on, like a, a Psalms or Gospel of John, maybe? Yeah, or? you know, I, Psalm 37 has always been a lot to me. Psalm 46, uh, the Lord is my fortress and my stronghold, very present to help, in, help in times of trouble. is always a, it's an important passage in our family's life. Uh, John 17, Romans 8 uh, are my kind of anchor points. Where, what are your anchor points? Um, I love reading the long and uh, goofy narratives, and the uh, particularly in Genesis and Exodus, um, because I see these heroic patriarchs that are held up through millennia now um, as um, falsely held up as models to emulate, and I see the real life unfolding for them, and it rarely goes the way. <laughs> in fact, it never goes the way they expect. And even when it goes um, bad for them, the when it goes good for them, it's always so much better. And it seems like there's a, a comedic, uh, not that it's funny, but that it always ends on a much higher high note yeah. than the the reader or the the liver of that story. Um, and so when I when I do um, feel this way, this as this questioner writes in, um, I love to read the the long narratives of the Old Testament, because I always find myself hiding in there somewhere, mm. and it's good to be reminded that it'll end better than I believe it will. One of the things I, I do, too, I mean, sometimes I, I, sometimes the Bible just doesn't do it for me. I'm not supposed to say that, but there you go, I said it, and uh, it's, on, it's on the internet. Um, one of the ways the Lord's really blessed me is with older Christians. Um, I, I need old men in my life smiling at me and telling me I'm going to be all right. Um, I hope the Lord's given you that. Uh, if you do, I fly to those guys. I do. I, I called one up last week and just said, I need to come sit on your back porch. I, I just, I need it. And he was gracious to give me that time. And uh, so I really encourage you to find that. Find people in your life who make you love Jesus more. And don't be afraid. Don't, don't be embarrassed. Just tell them I need time with you. Well, that's a great segue into this next All right. Question six is, um, how can we help others believe what God says about them? Does how we treat others help them believe what God says about them? And that's that's right what you were getting at. Yeah. I mean, yes. You you, you know, there is just deep value in having somebody look you in the eye and telling them that they love you. And I would... Uh, or telling, having somebody tell you that they are proud of you uh, or that they have seen improvement in you, somebody who really knows you. Uh, I've, I don't have a ton of people who are good at that. i got one or two. Mm. <laughs> uh, and, but it's just funny. I, I think it's an anointing of the Lord. I really do think it's a gift. I, one of my friends, for some reason, whenever every time he looks at me and smiles and says he's proud of me, I believe him. Mm. And it, it nourishes my soul. Uh, I've got a friend that I've known for 20-something years, and Every now and again, he'll give me a hug and say, Ricky Dean, you're getting better. And I believe him, you know. And uh, it means a a lot. It means the world to me. So, yes, try to be that person who listens and knows somebody and who knows what you need to hear. There's a great quote, Chesterton. uh, You probably know this quote, Jason. He says, uh, Well, I have a son who's got the initials GK. There you go. You, You love him. He says that the fear of sentimentality is the cheapest of all fears. 
It makes us say so long when what we mean to say is, uh, I love you and I'm going to miss you while you're gone. And uh, I, I try not to be afraid of sentimentality. I tell people I love them when I do. Uh, tell people I miss them. And I think that's a valuable thing to do. Mm. Well, here's a curveball. <laughs> Question seven. What was Paul's thorn in the flesh? I don't know. <laughs> and I'm glad I don't know. I think it's great that I don't know because um, that's the beauty. that We all we all have things that we think, this, this is, is my thorn there. in the flesh, yeah. and so I'm probably like him. You know, I've heard, I've heard it, everything from uh, homosexuality to uh, blindness. Mm-hmm. And uh, it can be physical maladies because some people have, you know, I, Dear, we have a dear saint in our church who suffered with arthritis for decades. That's clearly her thorn in the flesh. Mm-hmm. Uh, we've got other people struggling with their sexuality, with their, uh, you know, with spiritual issues, their anxiety, their depression. Um, I, I'm glad I don't know. And uh, I think it's important for all of us to hear that message that God's grace is sufficient for us. He likes us the way we are, depending upon Him. What do you think? You're smiling. You speculate? No, no. There's an old joke that I heard when I was in the Baptist church world that uh, it's proof that Paul was married because he had a thorn in his leg. <laughs> I don't think that's true. That's not true. No. <laughs> no. Um, yeah, I, I think it's left nebulous on purpose um, in God's wisdom and forbearance because uh, just like we all see so much of ourselves in Peter's brashness and ignorance to act before he understands like that fits so many pastors um and christians and so paul's uh leaving his this undefined really does give us a a safe place to have the gospel applied into the painful areas of our own lives Mm -hmm. Uh, question eight is that's this is really low hanging fruit and i (laughs) I expect you to hit a home run here but do you think healthy self-esteem can coexist with social media. <laughs> social media. Which this will probably be posted on social This will be form. posted on social media in a matter of hours. <laughs> a matter of hours. <laughs> so it can, because I certainly have a healthy, healthy self-esteem. Um, some would say too much. Um, yes. Let's, let's take the question seriously, though, uh, for what it means. Uh, you know, so I, I feel like about social media the way I feel about sports. Uh, it's good and bad. And uh, social media can be a real blessing. It was a real blessing to me last month when uh, so many people heard about my mother's illness and they reached out to me through social media, people I haven't talked to in decades, just expressing kindness. And it's easy to kind of criticize that and be like, oh, that's not real friendship. But, man, it sure meant something. Mm. It meant something to me. And uh, and I, I loved it. And I'm thankful for it. So, yeah, I think it's real. I think social media can be a good thing. Can it be a bad thing? Absolutely. Obviously. Uh, if, it's, if it's being divisive, if it is causing you to believe that everybody out there is having a better life, having more fun than you, then you got to know that it's just fake. Like, Facebook is fake. Uh, I have a friend who's a member of our church, and he went to Disney. I think I've told you this story. He went to Disney. He and, his, he and his wife had the biggest fight in the middle of Disney. Disney, They were so mad at each other. that and He was joking, but he looked at her on the on the tram ride back to the hotel and said, I, I, I'd kind of like to kill you right now. 
<laughs> and, uh, and she said, I'd kill you in a second. And that's just kind of how they talked to each other. But it was a big fight. I mean, they weren't kidding. They were really mad. Went, got back to the hotel room. He went off into the bathroom, take a bath, kind of calm down. She stays in the, in the, you know, on the couch and gets on social media. He is in the bathtub, looks at his phone, sees that she has just posted on Facebook and uh, posted a picture of them smiling with the message, another perfect day at Disney. <laughs> <laughs> it's just as fake as it can be. And you got to admit that. And if it's bothering you, if it really is affecting you, if you look at Facebook and think, man, I'm the only person in the world who doesn't have a perfect life, then quit looking. It's all a big lie. Um, so, you know, it, if it's hurting you, don't let it. I guess. That's a, <laughs> and, and feel free to have opinions that you don't share. Yeah, feel free. And don't think that you're changing the world through Facebook. You're not. You're not. I would love to eradicate racism through Facebook. That would be so easy. It's not going to happen. No. no. <laughs> not that way. All right. So here, that's a... See, I did that one on purpose. Yeah, I saw okay, the question. Okay. <laughs> question nine. How do we handle racism or racists in the church? Now, it's important to note that this was asked by a black person burned by many Presbyterians. First of all, I want to apologize. I'm sorry. I'm very, very sorry to hear that. Uh, it is a blight on our past as Presbyterians and as Evangelicals that we have not addressed racism forthrightly, honestly, biblically, and uh, as, I feel like I needed one more word there, as strongly as we should have for the last 200 years. Vociferously. Okay, vociferously. Or 500 years. Um, I'm serious, I, I mean that. It's heartbreaking to me. Uh, I think we address it many different ways. I think as a church, we address it in our teaching. From the pulpit, uh, I probably reference racism on a monthly basis. I can feel the tension in the room. I feel like some of the folks are like tired of it. Mm. Um, maybe I do it too much. Have you had know. people leave by talking about it? Uh, maybe. I have, actually, yes. Um, I know we read a statement um, a year and a half ago after the Terrence Crutcher shooting mm. up north. Um, at our church uh, that was uh, crafted in conjunction with the session and uh, read by one of our deacons who happens to be a wonderful black man, um, beautiful Christian brother. Um, he and I co-read it, took turns reading it, and uh, we had two families get up and storm out in the middle of wow. reading it because they felt like we were uh, capitulating to an anti-cop uh, mm -hmm. culture in secular society, which is not what we were doing. No. Um, and yes, we believe that every life matters and we are against abortion and we we're against um, police officers uh, being shot. Um, of course, of course. But the cultural moment seems to have been then and continues today is that uh, um, people of color, specifically uh, black brothers and sisters, are yeah. Um, unduly um, harassed um, both within and without of police and law enforcement but oh, yeah, so when we yeah, stand up to say anything um, we take it uh, on the chin uh, frequently from our church members it's hard it's hard, hard to know how to do it well it is I mean I received a piece of uh, 
election propaganda. Uh, you know, what do you call it when they send you out flyers in the mail? And it was blatantly racist. I mean, it was it was against Mexicans, and it had a picture of the Mexican flag on the cover, and it said, you know, I vote for me, and I'll stop divisiveness. Is how he termed it. Uh, the other big term you hear is demographic change. Um, so all I'd say is, is evil. It's prevalent. It is. Uh, we we try to address it from the pulpit. We would definitely address it. I, I think a lot of Christians still don't understand that you can't be a Christian and be racist. That's clear from the Bible. We are one flesh. We're one with each other. You cannot take communion unless you're able to discern the body of Christ. And if you are thinking yourself, thinking other people less than you because of their race, then you're not discerning the body of Christ. Mm. You're not discerning that you are one. Mm. And so, uh, you know, I, I would say on a individual level, when you, if you experience racism, at least any church that I work at, please come tell me because we want to address it. Um, it's heartbreaking. I'm, I'm sorry. I'm very sorry uh, to hear that you've experienced it. I'm not surprised. I'm sorry. Mm. Um, I'm going to save the next question for our last one. Okay. And so receive this question as our 10th question. Address love your neighbor as yourself relative to today's teaching. I'm assuming that was your sermon. Yeah, I mean, the sermon was, you know, should Christians love themselves? And, and I did not reference that passage because I think that passage is often misused to talk about, you know, self-esteem, right? Jesus said, love your neighbor as yourself. So you can't love your, you know, you can't do that if you don't love yourself. Mm -hmm. And I just, I think that's wrong. I mean, I, <laughs> incrementally, each part of that is right, I guess, but it's just, that certainly is not what Jesus was getting in that passage. What he was saying is, if you want to know how to love your neighbor, Put yourself in his situation. How should, how would you want to be treated? Uh, do likewise. He's not saying have a high self-esteem and then, uh, you know, that's just not what he was. Treat everybody else as if they're as arrogant as you are? <laughs> yeah. That's not what he means? That's not what I mean. Um, you know, so I cer certainly I don't think Jesus wanted us to hate ourselves. I tried to go into great, uh, you know, detail to talk about the difference between a false, sinful pride and a biblical... Um, view of self that is based upon how much God loves you and, and, and sinks your worth and how much God has sacrificed for you. Um, so, uh, you know, it's a great passage, but the, the point of, you know, the golden rule, love your neighbor as yourself, is to love your neighbor. It's not to love yourself. It's a, I have found it helpful in counseling and helping folks through um, their own personal difficulties to point out how the Lord's forbearance, His mm -hmm. kindness, the way He's been so patient and generous um, with His grace with each of us, even while while we were yet sinners, mm. um, and that if He can be that patient and kind with us, can we not then turn around and do that to the person who's not acting the way we right. expect or hope or desire? How do we how do we engage with them without just saying, "Hey, knock it off, yeah. you blockhead"? Um, yeah. Because Christ does that with us daily through the Spirit, and so we just need to turn that around and be that in someone else's life. Well, I mean, I, and the, the principles there in loving your neighbor as yourself are rich when thinking about how to love a weak neighbor. Mm -hmm. For instance, um, you know, if you have an alcoholic begging you for alcohol, don't love him the way he wants you to love him. No. 
love him the way he would want you to love him if he were able to think clearly. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, that's that's part of loving your neighbors yourself. What would you want someone to give you poison? No. Well, then don't give it to them, even if that's what they're asking for. Yeah. Um, so there's there's a multitude of wonderful applications to that. Self-esteem just isn't one of them. Okay. <laughs> so, Maybe so it is. This is the penultimate All question. Right. Question 11. What God thinks about us is most important, but does that mean that affirmation is not important and that we're not made to receive it sometimes? What is the proper place of affirmation in our lives? Because, man, it feels good. <laughs> yeah, it does, and it should feel good. It's a very important thing. Absolutely, we should be affirming of each other. We should be, uh, you know, the Bible word there is encouraging each other. Absolutely. Um would you say Marvel? Barnabas. Barnabas, the son, the, the son of encouragement. Yeah. Uh, you need to, sur- not only should you be doing it, you should be surrounding yourself with people who affirm and encourage you uh, for the right reason in the right way. Um, uh, gosh, man, I can't get enough people who are aff- who, who affirm me. I, I think it's extremely important. I don't think feeling good is bad in this situation. You, it feels good because that's the way you were designed to function. And uh, I, I really do it with all the seriousness in my heart encourage you to be better at affirming other people we're not good at it i know too many people who think it's their place in life to correct bad theology or to criticize people and uh too few way too few feel like it's their important place in life to encourage and affirm play people and um and you know when you look over your life you'll see the, the most important people in your life are the people who've encouraged you the most talk about how yeah, some folks um, find it so difficult to simply receive affirmation. Mm-hmm. They they want to pass it off, um, and certainly, right? It's the um, who, what three people would you want to meet and have dinner? Jesus always gets in there, mm-hmm. so so of course it's the spirit um, that has worked in you to the place where you can be affirmed for something good, true, and beautiful. Uh, but I've had people that I've tried to thank or tell them, "Man, you're so good at X, Y, Z." And they can't just um, say thank you. That's yeah. why do you think that is? I think it's maybe from people trying to not come off as prideful. Mm-hmm. But I mean, if you're really good at something, or you handled a really tough circumstance with yeah. diligent grace, then there's a place not to pat yourself on the sure. back, but to be patted on the back and say, "Man, that was really, really wonderful." Yeah. But you know these people? Yeah, I do. I, you know, I think it's, uh, I, I'm sad for them. I think there are some people who just are in such a cycle, a spiral of of, of self-torment mm. that they can't, they can't be complimented. And, uh, you know, the, the affirmation that's always helped me the most is when I've tried something and, and it just didn't go well and had someone come up and say, man, I, I just want you to know, I saw that you tried hard. I noticed that. It's so freeing. It is to freeing. To be able to fail well. It is. And to, and to know, and to have somebody say, hey man, you, that didn't go well, but you're not a failure. You failed, but you're not a failure. Yeah. Um, so I, I want to be better at that. Um, by the way, Jason, you're doing a great job oh, hosting you. this podcast. Thank you so much. And you've done a better than adequate job. Better than um, Alright, here's your last one. And I feel right. like this one you can run free on for a lot. You got a lot of leash here, babe. 
Why does God love us? Mm. Mm. Isn't that the greatest question ever? It's the best question there is. You know, my favorite, uh, my favorite Old Testament passage is Deuteronomy 7, when Moses is running down the question of why God loves us. And he says, um, he says when you get into the promised land, don't begin, and, and your, your nation is multiplied greatly, don't begin to think that it was because we were the biggest nations that God chose us, uh, because we were small. And don't think it's because we were righteous, because we were stubborn. But it's because he loved you that he set his love upon you. Mm. Uh, uh, the Apostle Paul takes that in Ephesians 2. And he says, while we were still dead in our trespasses and sins, because of the great love with which he loved us, God made us alive together in Christ. He loves us because he loves us. It is uh, the, the richest truth there is. It is the deepest well of encouragement that there is. Um, because it's not earned, it can't be lost. Um, because it's not dependent upon anything I've done, nothing I done, have done or can do can really end it. Um, Speaking on this question, I think um, I had Dr. Sinclair Ferguson for mm-hmm. most of my theological education in seminary. And he said on this point... That was a great brag, by the way. That yeah, that's so a humble brag. That was a great... We're one. good friends. Um, <clears throat> probably the highlight of my life is that he butt-dialed me once. Mm. Um, he said on this point, he said, imagine um, you're hiking on some glacial thing and you, you have those holes, those cracks that go down. You come up to uh, the love of God that he gives his people mm. and all you can say is... I can see the chasm, but I can't fathom the depth of it. Mm. So you can not know why God loves us other than he loves us, but Mm. you can know what Paul says, the depth, the breadth, Mm. the the width, the length. It's it's ours. We may, I think all of eternity will be God explaining um, the wonder of his love that he gave to all of his children in Christ. And I don't think we'll get tired of hearing it. I don't think we'll reach the end of yeah. the story. I think it's why we, uh, you know, humans have always had this this desire to explore the unexplorable, you know, to, to I think it's that same desire, the, the yeah. desire that makes us want to go into space, the desire that makes us want to go to the bottom of the ocean, is that desire to, ultimately, I think it's a desire to, to explore the depths of God's love for mm-hmm. us. It's that same that yearning, that, that capacity just to be able to, to know the size of it. Um, I can't wait to spend eternity doing that. And I look forward to doing that with you. Me, me too. Yeah, Jason, me too. By the way, there is a question we skipped. It's from Madeline Dorse. She said, we love you, Ricky. Madeline, we love you too, and we will uh, miss you while you are gone. This has been uh, from Sunday to Monday with Ricky Jones and Jason Bobo. Thank you so much for listening, and I uh, hope You will be back here next week for more questions. Thanks a lot.